0: Hello and welcome to Crazy Russians in DevOps podcast where we're talking about all things DevOps from technology to culture with heavy Russian accent. Welcome to this episode of Crazy Russian In DevOps Podcast. Podcast where we're talking about all things DevOps, from technology to culture. And this episode coming to you live from Google Cloud Next in San Francisco, California. Hello, uh, my friends. Uh, hello and welcome again. And I have my... Uh, my uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? No. A fellow. Well, no. Fellow. Fellow. The... Uh... uh
1: a permanent member uh, of exactly, the Security the Council. The, the permanent Of, of member, the DevOps Council.
0: Permanent member, permanent resident of uh, Crazy Russian DevOps podcast, uh, Leonid Igolnik. Hello, hello, everybody. Um, and uh, we still have our guest is Anton Archipov from the JetBrains. Hello, my friends. And we have our uh, Ricardo Ferreira in uh, from uh, the Council. All
2: right, hey, everybody. All
0: right, so we are. We continue talking about all things DevOps and all things cloud and all things things. And uh, one of the th- one of the one of the stuff that we touched base on the last time on the last episode is a question about uh, some of the metrics and uh, observability in the system and how we will do proper monitoring. Um, what's important. Uh, and especially um, in the world of distributed systems, since we learned that we're going into this world of abstraction, built on top of abstractions, and uh, one distributed system runs on top of another distributed system that runs on top of the hardware that is not actual hardware, maybe it's virtualized hardware, or it maybe it's another... Uh, distributed hardware. Distributed hardware, yes. Yeah. So as we know that the Google Cloud platform runs on top of um, we can use a uh, Kubernetes that runs inside Google Cloud Platform that runs on top of Google infrastructure that runs on top of Borg that runs on top me. of You yeah, just lost exactly. layers. We have I'm a too
3: two, too yeah, two, uh, two many yeah
0: too too many too many layers of everything too many layers of abstractions. So this is why the proper understanding where the things are coming from or like how the things originate were originated. And where the, how to find, the most importantly, how to find the root cause of the problem. I guess this is the, what we're trying to at least start conversation about, right? So and we now have uh, two experts here um, of uh, observability. Two
1: observability world. monks.
0: Yeah. Are you a monk? Mm. In this case, we have a three, because Ricardo is also kind of, sort of, you remember this, uh, the episode from the Spider-Man when the, the, the um, the character played by, um,
2: Kevin No,
0: uh, William Defoe. And right now there's a very popular meme that I'm scientist oh, myself. Godwin. Yeah. I'm a little bit scientist myself. And we see the picture of the, uh, William Defoe. Um, in this case, no one gets the reference. <laughs> yeah, that reference just like, except. Yeah. Uh, hey, few, the Russians. What do you want? <laughs> few, few <laughs> listeners of, uh, of, of, the show. So yeah, we have, a. Um, Observability experts, and uh, we're going to be talking about all things. So I will pass the microphone to experts. So Anton, known as a, as a product manager of uh, the tool that provided this uh, kind of um, observability layer for Java developers, uh, known as XRebel. Yes, it still exists. Still exists. Still 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 works. Um, and uh, Leonid is uh, is uh, running engineering in the company called SignalFx, that known as a provider of tools.
1: Prevere, high-quality observability software.
0: Yeah, and Ricardo is uh, um, known as an expert in... uh, KSQL uh, observability, which is uh, a couple uh, um, DevOps uh, conferences you're presenting with this, uh, with this time of talk. So yep. I will be enjoying this conversation because I know shit about this. So, so we I would
1: should start with the basics.
0: Yeah, start with the basics. Explain what's this all the fuss about. What's the, uh, what's the uh, need
2: for observability?
1: Maybe? Yeah. Well, how about let's start with what observability is all about. Like, Is it yep. a marketing hype? Is it a new fancy word for monitoring that the vendors invented to be different? Yep. Who knows? But the traditional canonical definition of observability nowadays is pretty simple. Metrics, traces, and logs. Right? Those are the three pillars of observability. If you read um, some of the early writings uh, from folks at uh, Twitter, from folks at Stripe, it's tough to really to do thumbs up and talk at the same time as Victor is taking a picture. Uh, but here we go. So observability, metrics, traces, and logs. Right? And what the hell do we care about observability? And like, why is there every five, ten years a new crop of vendors showing up? On the market and having been in this space both as a buyer I used to be a third customer of UpDynamics dynamics when they were emerging uh, and I was an executive at the company called Tolero uh, and having been a vendor in this space a couple times what I'm seeing and I'm curious if it resonates with you folks is every time we change the way we architect software we end up having to need a completely different set of tools there's something in the new architecture that makes the old tools obsolete right and what we're seeing at least uh, with our customers and our prospects, is the three things that drive the obsolescence obsol op- Obsolation, anyhow. Uh, Invalidation. Uh, make them obsolete or irrelevant.
2: Absolute. O- or- yeah. you <laughs> got the point. We yeah. The
1: point. <laughs> make them old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah uh, the three following trends. Number one, explosion of components in the typical architecture, where components themselves are smaller and non-monolithic anymore, so it's less about looking inside a giant black box, more about understanding how things interact with each other, and more often than not, on the microservices architecture, they interact in ways uh, that are quite unpredictable to an operator. Right? Right. Like it, we we went past like a human comprehension of how the transaction flows through the system. A typical transaction. The second trend we're seeing is adoption of uh, ephemeral uh, deployment styles. When the nodes come and go. Yeah, well, the things that come and go and spin up and. The way this disrupts the traditional monitoring vendors or monitoring products is not really the scale of how many nodes you monitor, well, but the, 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 metadata, data makes- the, the metadata churn, yeah. right? Like when you're architected to monitor ten thousand or hundred thousand static nodes, and you have, like, I see customers that create hundreds of millions of new time series a week. It's a completely different new new problem. And how quickly do you become aware of this new thing that may only live for a few minutes, right? And the third thing, which is interesting to me, is over the last couple quarters, specifically, and like with Google Cloud Next, so it's only fair to talk about is adoption of Kubernetes as the orchestrator where your workloads are not only ephemeral, but they're also kind of moving around all the time, right? Everything is like nothing is in one place. I would, probably Sporadic.
3: Also, I would also probably add to that uh, synchronous versus asynchronous, how the message actually go through the system. You um, mean
1: the transaction? Like yeah, the how, transaction yeah, yeah, the transaction. How do they flow. monitor the transaction? Like. Enough, the, 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 the different patterns. like It goes back to architecture, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, I would,
0: I would all, are we rolling? Yeah, right. we're rolling. day Yeah.
2: Yeah. I also mentioned uh, about the need for observability. Uh, I think one of the, the things that every engineer would agree with that when there is some problem that users complain, like, uh, oh, the system is slow, or the system is not working, uh, every engineer kind of uh, knows that there is a 80% versus 20% of the how their time are spent. Like 80% of the time is finding where the problem is, and 20% of the time is spending actually finding uh, fixing the problem. So that's what makes troubleshooting so complicated these days. Like uh, the other fellows uh, told before, we are dealing with microservices era where we have a transaction that flows across different layers. So Imagine that you have to find where the bottleneck or the root cause of the problem is across multiple components. That's where the problematic of where if you are an engineer or the person that is responsible for monitoring systems are going to live on a daily basis. So observability kind of brings you to the point, of course, when it's correctly implemented, it brings you to the point where you can focus actually in solving the problem instead of focusing on where the problem is so that's one of the values that I see as well in observability.
1: So unfortunately for the listeners of this podcast we seem to agree there's no controversy in, in what observability is all about so we're gonna to have to look keep looking for something a bit more controversial
0: And uh, if you have any controversial uh, or you disagree as you, most of the you know Soviet people disagree about the things you read really the comments in uh, on uh, our Podbean website.
1: Yeah, so 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 I'm curious. We have two confluent folks here at the table, right? Uh, it looks like streaming is de facto being picked up as a as a as a pattern for large-scale microservices-based architectures, and like Kafka is one of the most common ways of coupling those services together. Well, decoupling them at the same time so that's, that's a that's a new one so, so, du- Duality, arch-
3: architectural the, duality oh yeah, the, yeah the coupling, an, decoupling
1: new... while coupling at the same time huh? that's yep. a good one so i'm curious like from your perspective when you talk to your customers like what 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 do streaming architectures add to typical observability challenges that we just talked about
2: yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, uh, if you think about it, uh, most uh, applications are built on top of microservices which are inherently uh, stateless, right? So they're based on request response scenarios where you a client or some, some layer does a request and then the service processes the request and gives a response and that's it. So everything's kind of forgotten. But when you're dealing with Kafka or even driven architectures, you have somehow to have uh, the notion of termination and continuation of transactions because, for example, Mm -hmm. Kafka, you have the persona of the producer, which produces the message, and then the message is stored in Kafka. That is one transaction. That's it. The thread is gone. And then in another thread, in another context, there will be a consumer that will pick up the message and continue the transaction. But how do you manage this whole transaction continuation in different threads? I think that's the challenge that makes so so Mm -hmm. more... Uh, difficult to design observability
3: on top of this system and, and what are the solutions actually
1: well there, there are some common solutions like transaction correlation ID through like a message header same but, but, but let me ask you a question so you, you touched on the fact that there's a consumer there's a producer there's another challenge uh, for most kind of tracing and <coughs> transaction observing systems is how do you know when your transaction is over right and uh, I think what I've seen and what I heard from some of our customers uh, and and we have a tracing product is like what about transactions that last hours because right now uh, there's not enough signal coming from the underlying substrate to tell us that hey this this trace you know it went to Kafka but there's like there's still a message to be consumed Uh, yeah and I'm curious and I'm sure you guys are hearing something along those lines and, and have some thoughts about it. I'm curious, how should folks that do distributed tracing with long link transactions, not necessarily transactions that last seconds or 10 seconds, but they can last hours and minutes because those are big business system integrations. How should you think about tracing in that context? Is that a separate transaction that should be started later on? Is it one big transaction? What are some of the best practices that you're seeing from your customers?
0: Yeah. So basically, I have a uh, one uh, small addition. Uh, it's not even it's not even addition, but rather um, comment. So when we're talking about like long-lived transactions, in, in the context of the messaging systems or or other things around uh, um, like a moving message or like a real-time transactions, it makes sense. But Kafka is not entirely does uh, uh, what yes, what other. Other system uh, are are doing. There's no door, so uh, you have to wait for for another episode. So we, okay. uh, we're <laughs> so essentially in the Kafka world, when the message will stay, you know, stays for for a little while I- inside the Kafka, it's kind of normal situation, and I think it should not be considered as an exceptional situation or like a long latency system if it was not picked up by one of the consumers because some some use cases are. Uh, inherently, uh, you know, producer and consumer are inherently disconnected.
1: But is it? Yeah. yeah here, here, here's the thing. Like, yeah. for example, there are two styles of, uh, for observability systems that do tracing, there are two styles of deciding on the what to keep, right? This so-called head-based sampling, where you decide at the beginning of the transaction whether this transaction will be recorded or not, Right. And uh, the second style that seems to be adopted more by more modern products is what's called tail-based sampling, where you observe the entire transaction, and then at the end of the transactions, you look at it and you go, well, this one is interesting, the other ones are not, right? And there are some advantages for tail-based sampling. For example, you get better capture of infrequent transactions, because Mm -hmm. uh, since you don't know the pattern, you don't know if it's interesting, you can uh, see if the transaction deviates from norm and maybe over over oversample things like P90 and above, right? But then the challenge, because if if you're in a tail-based sampling situation, like you have to decide when the transaction is over. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what what do people do in those situations?
0: In our case, I'm sorry for keeping interrupting you. No worries. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> That's I another rush. I, I, no. I, yeah.
2: I will rate by chance. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean you can you can actually, in uh, um, basically. So I think in in our case. We can clearly indicate this by in Kafka we have this concept of uh, offsets, and when the offset was committed, then uh, we uh, we can say yeah the offset is committed, so transaction is over, and uh, we we here. So now the next yeah, ne- because uh, the offset will be will be placed based on partition, and uh, the consumer when the consumer process mm-hmm. and will commit offsets, the message will be considered as a so, You'd so basically,
1: ask. your advice to people that are trying to do your own, uh, like people roll some of their own observability tools, yeah. or use things like Jaeger, Zipkin, Open Tracing, as basically your advice is use transaction uh, offset, or use offset as an
2: indicator. So, what the, would you,
0: uh, what would you in interceptor for uh, for Open Tracing? Yeah,
2: so so, so let, let, let me put this right. I mean. Um, if we're looking for system transactions like uh, the transactions that are underlying the communication between the microservices, uh, we are we basically promote the usage of interceptors in terms of Kafka so interceptors a way to generically uh, write the code for do all the tracing between the layers but instead of writing the code for for which layer so that that is good for the for the sake of system transaction but what Leon is doing was kind of a is interesting what he said that um, the way he was describing this uh, let's call it business transactions which has a more more complete view what what's going on in terms of the flow i would say that i wouldn't call it an actually system transaction i would call it an actually business transaction and if you think about it you go back for 10 years ago that's what BPM, business process manager, used to be like a, you would have designing the flow of these these layers and some some of, some of the layers would be comprised by human actors like people that he used to need to, to do some tasks, and the process would need to be in a wait state, waiting for that task to be completed. So I think the answer for this is maybe you could actually design your system as a business transaction, but still for the for, for the underlying transactions in the system, leverage the tracing part. I wouldn't say that the tracing part would play a bigger role on the business transaction monitoring, because it simply cannot. I mean... Uh, it's too granular. I mean, it's it, it, whether if you're using Kafka or not using Kafka or synchronous or asynchronous, uh, the way we monitor system transactions is different the way you're going to monitor the business transactions. We're going to have wait states. You're going to have, uh, like Leon just mentioned before, Ma- imagine a transaction that takes days to complete, like a low on application approval. So basically, you would have to have uh, some sort of a queue where the queue would be... Um, Resume it by the time that person completes the task, and somehow signal that task to be completed. So I think it's the, the way we monitor this type of transactions is kind of a way beyond what we have in OpenTracing or Jaeger or Zipkin, uh, at least. That's yeah, part. I think.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's a. Uh, it's not very the the boundaries of this. It's not very clear in uh, streaming world uh, rather than like if we will ask like Anton's an opinion about things where he was dealing with in uh, X-Rebel. Where I was
3: hearing you guys and probably uh, there is a solution to your question uh, where like, you know wh- where the transaction ends, right? Why don't your application tell your monitoring tool that hey, the transaction has been completed?
1: But do you? Uh, I think some of the challenges with the microservice architecture is the variety of ways in which transactions can be put together uh, and you don't know ahead of time how the transaction is going to flow through the system, and well, you know, like the microservice at the end of the transaction doesn't necessarily know that it ended the transaction, right?
2: Yeah.
3: For yeah. some
1: transaction, that may be the termination point. For some transaction, and maybe just an interim step.
3: Yeah. So, no, but but your your Microsoft, like whatever service or application handles the transaction flow through the distributed system, it actually knows whether it will send the next me- like the message to the next. Yeah, uh, microservice or not. But I, I think the beauty of microservices is you
1: design your services in isolation, and therefore you're not supposed to know how you participate okay. in in a broader transaction, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and therefore, and and the beauty of microservices is you can put new, novel users in unexpected ways, right? Exactly. And therefore, like, I don't know how would microservice know uh, that you know something has ended.
3: So basically, you end up with some uncertainty anyway. Yes. And for that, you need to collect enough data and decide. Okay, with the probability of ninety percent, that was the end of the transaction.
1: Anya, we digress. Like, let's go back to general observability. We talked about like the need of observability on a production environment and like the fact that deployment architecture, software architectures are, are changing the way we would uh, need to uh, the monitor things. But. Um, what about uh, observability in the development environment? What are some of the different needs uh, that, Anton, I know you saw when you were building X-Rebel as a product, the differentiated observability in the dev stage versus production stage?
3: Well, in development, uh, you're probably mostly interested not in, in uh, the metrics as you're interested in, uh, in production, but mostly, what 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 is the application actually doing didn't you do any stupid mistakes while developing it like n plus one drop the query issue right uh, which is which is pretty common when you are using uh, all kind of uh, re- object relational mapping frameworks for instance and and especially in uh, in microservices uh, architecture you, you you end up pretty often with not just n plus one query issue but rather n plus one uh, HTTP call problem
2: yeah like multiplexing HTTP calls yeah Yeah, Yeah.
3: something like that And, and it's pretty hard to actually tell to the user that hey you have this issue right n plus one but what you actually need is to visualize the data that you have collected from the application so that it is immediately obvious that, hey, there might be an issue. So what we did, uh, we were mostly looking into transaction and and telling the user, hey, this is what happened right now when you executed the request, whether it was just an application that uh, executed or handled the HTTP request, or it was uh, spanning several nodes. Uh, So the goal was just to uh, provide the observability or the insight what happened right now when you were handling this request message uh, whatever else and and the point was that you know showing immediately to you and that it would be immediately visible that something is wrong or some, something might be wrong because collecting the, the performance data from your machine just from one request you know there is no stats like you, you cannot rely on stats you cannot rely on uh, on uh, like precise profiling like precise timing of, of the of the request execution because it's just your machine. Yeah you know there might be some anti an, uh, antivirus software working just right now. So you, if you, even if you get some kind of uh, timings from from this request doesn't tell you much. You should, you should see what, what is going on. Either you're executing uh, some query to the database twice, maybe three times, but you could have done it just one time. Or um, maybe there are some external queries uh, being executed some uh, HTTP calls. Uh, for instance, what I have seen is that if you don't put a slash and to the end of the query, then you uh, to the, to the to the HTTP request, right? Then it's being redirected, and then you make another HTTP request again from the client side, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you end up with the two HTTP requests instead of one, uh, and you can avoid it just by adding one character or removing one character from the HTTP call.
1: So if we zoom out to macro, like the major differences by the sound of it, like is volume and. It's less about metrics, it's more about traces, right, if I hear yeah. it. Like, if you think about the three pillars, metrics, uh, traces, logs.
3: It's about tracing.
1: And logs, I assume,
2: right?
3: Well, yeah, yes, yes, yeah.
2: yeah. I would say logs as well, because uh, one of the beauties of having traces for development, like we mentioned before, uh, developers can have, get very good insight about logging <coughs> the specific, uh, like, for example, we have a microservices that interact with the database. You can log the queries, the SQL queries that are being done by that microservice and find out that you were dealing with a query that's not very performatic. So I think logging, in this case, adds value for developed environments. Interesting.
0: Uh, Can you keep uh, facilitating discussion? I'll need to do a quick run to... uh...
1: Yes, to wherever you do a quick run to. You're going to take a dump, right? Uh. (laughs) Bleep.
0: He, he's, he's getting this Russian wiper. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. So like it's yeah.
1: direct and to the point. Uh, n- n- nothing left uh, unsaid. So, what else as you talk uh, uh, like to your peers in the industry um, or to vendors uh, that comes to mind when it comes to like observability and, and changes that uh, all the trends we talked about so far driving in observability. All right. Could you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah. So, like, what I also hearing uh, from kind of your peers in the industry with uh, your customers uh, that 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 they're dealing with when it comes to challenges or changes in observability because of the, some of the trends we started this conversation with, right? The microservices, ephemerality,
2: Kubernetes. Yeah. Now, what, what we have been actually—that's interesting because, um, to be really honest, uh, not many customers, at least many customers from Confluent, are actually interested in implementing observability. Like every, yeah, believe it or not, but uh, that's the problem that we—they they definitely have it. With I'm not saying that they don't have this problem, but I think they don't realize that this uh, there is a need to think about observability at the beginning stage of the project. Like. By the time they find out that their observability is a need for them, they're they're in production and they're complaining about oh this complex transaction is too hard to see where the bottleneck is or I cannot keep track of where's the uh, the problem of uh, this specific transaction. So, what we've been hearing for customers is that uh, in the late stages of development they're bringing observability, and that's why we uh, we developed this kind of a set of interceptors because. Imagine, you, ha- you already deployed 200 microservices in production and they're running out there. So you don't want to go back for your development stage and insert code to do tracing for each one of those 200 services. So what we created for them is those interceptors that they can simply shoot down the JVM, register the interceptor, just like AJB and Spring Interceptor uh, we used to have, and then bring it up to JVM again, and then trace is being done for them automatically. So, so
1: basically there's no going away from auto-instrumentation. There's no
2: There's no way to get away from this. Exactly. So basically
1: it sounds like what you guys did is what service meshes are doing to for some of the other yeah. companies. Like you, you hear Istio and Envoy emitting traces automatically
2: in cross-services interactions. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So that minimizes a bit the pain for implementing traces because as I said before, um, Believe it or not, they're not concerned about tracing in the beginning of the product. So what that means, on the other hand, is that they don't have the culture of learning uh, observability or learning open tracing or learning Jaeger, or learning all of that. So that's that's kind of a help that we provide for them.
1: Anton, do you think there's hope for us in an industry? Do you think we will ever learn to start uh, putting debuggability at the time, observability?
3: Well, there's a trend called shift left performance right and probably we can contribute to that to that a little bit more but no, i i think not really why
1: what do you think are some of the trends that like prevent like we all get burned year after year generation after generation of software engineers we seem all to be get burned by the same set of problems right we 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 kick the can down the road uh what do you think uh, what cultural aspect of our industry uh drive that like inability to learn from their mistakes. Because if you look at any other industry, aviation, uh, firefighting, like all of those continuously evolve and they learn from their mistakes, right? Uh, we seem to be. Is it—is it a function of the software industry still being young? Which it is compared it to is, others?
3: I think it is. Um, those who, who have been burned uh, by this problem, just a few of them stay,
1: maybe. So, so, so not enough survivors to spread the. To spread the word about that, yeah, maybe. So, what what can we do? So, it sounds like uh, as we start adopting more standard software architectures and deployment architectures, some of this comes built in, right? Whether it's Google Cloud Services or Amazon Services, you have open tracing, you have traces being emitted, yeah. you have metrics being emitted. Is there hope for us beyond frameworks just coming pre-instrumented? And is that the best way for uh, is, is that the best way for us to drive that culture of observability
3: upfront? I think, yeah, education is the only way. Like
1: traditionalist and European doom and gloom up in here, yeah. education, <laughs> education, no, there education. Is no, there is no
3: hope. The, wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, there is no hope that people will learn from the mistakes.
1: So every single new generation of software engineers will bound have, we'll, to... Yeah,
3: will have to burn their fingers. Mm.
1: That is a pretty sad state. If yeah, it, 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 it. it's kind of saddening a little bit. I, I very have depressing.
3: one
0: question. So I don't know if you discussed this uh, <laughs> while I was uh, doing my thing. We um, were trying to figure out why people don't learn to put observability yeah. up front. In That's what we've yeah. covered. So, yeah, I, I, um, I'm interested in uh, one aspect. Okay, so we have um, we have been uh, great citizens. We uh, we put the observability in place. We were working on on this, these things, but. We collected a lot of information, but I think one of the important things is that what are metrics or whatever the por- portion of the data is actionable, what yes. is not.
1: Yes. So I think the interesting part, uh, and like having been both a consumer and the vendor of those, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that the monitoring of the future, the monitoring that I want to use, is not the descriptive monitoring that just gathers a bunch of data and vomits it on the screen for you in the middle of the night when you've got page to like go here, figure out where the root cause is. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that what will win in this market and what we need as an industry is prescriptive monitoring systems. Yeah. We need systems that have the underlying technology capabilities to start driving you to the root cause. And quite frankly, those are the systems I think that will get adopted and maybe there's hope for us yet because if systems like that do exist, that may motivate people to put observability up front because you know, when you troubleshoot things in the middle of the night, Yep. You can be done in two I, minutes. Nothing made me a better software engineer when it comes to writing better logs than waking up in the middle of night and not having them.
3: Yeah, I think it comes out from the personal goals of, of those engineers in many cases, right? If the, if his personal goal is to complete the project in time and in budget, and uh, his, like his focus is there completing it, He's not thinking about the observability. But if the requirement is that it has to run and he has to maintain it himself. Yes. Like isn't isn't the modern
1: environment driving that behavior change, i.e. you will be the one who I, gets paid.
3: I hope I hope that. But I, but I hope that it will happen someday.
2: But but you know what? Let me play the dev- the, the uh devil advocate here. Not for the a second. developer advocate. No, like not the developer <laughs> advocate. The devos itself. I mean <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a widespread culture, but uh, I'm from Brazil, so I can talk uh, firmly from Latin America. There are some companies and consulting firms that are actually paid to delay the work. So what I'm talking is, imagine that you were a company that are paid because you have billable hours. So although it is your job to fix the problem, but you don't want to do this because you don't want to have to fix the problem real fast because you want to spend the whole night, two days, three days a week, fixing the problem, although you know the answer because you're, you're going to prolong that as much as possible. So I think. No, no,
0: no, I can relate. That sounds like some of the Russian companies might do that as you well.
2: Know, I, actually, I try to be polite, but I'm pretty sure I, every part of the world does that. So I think one, one of the problems with future adoption. It's maybe this. Maybe. So maybe we can convince
1: outsourcing companies instead of doing that uh, to delay the work by investing in instrumentation upfront during the development process, not during the uh, production, uh, production, production
0: support.
3: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That's, uh, that's the answer to the world's hunger in observability. And we still have hope. I don't so, know. Anton looks pretty depressed.
3: <laughs> I, I don't believe that. I, I, I think people, people. Um, some have people have just have want to see. see yeah, some, some wants to see the world
0: burn.
1: So, so I'm curious. Like now, from personal experience, so like Confluent started as a traditional, we'll call it old school on premise company. I.e., yep. like we, we have a product, we give it to your customers, you run it, you operate it. Yep. And all of a sudden, Confluent is a SaaS vendor, right? Yep. Yeah. So, I don't know how close you guys were to that transition, but like, what cultural shifts have happened within Confluent, for example, as a company, as you became a, a, a then, you a want service. to
3: immediately you want, you start thinking of. Well, I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> well,
1: that, I don't want to put boards on their mouth. but I'm curious, like for Confluent, how did that transition to becoming a SaaS vendor? Because it can be pretty jarring, pretty shocking, right? For people, it's like, hey, you're going to be on call now. So, how did that happen for you as a company?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, that, that's a good question. I mean, I, I would say the short answer we are still learning how to manage uh, Kafka as a service. Like, I think the first two major things that we did was adopting the culture of SRE, like Site Reliability Engineering. So that brings the whole set of principles. And what we found out is that our engineers that were used to write code for Kafka, either in Java and Scala, they didn't have the culture of being, like you said, an on-call. That's something that's come from the SRE world. So that's the first change. I think the second change is to make sure we have, of course, observability. I mean. Have, making sure that the the failures that happens in production are pops up real fast so they can learn from this problem. All of this kind of interrupted the, that that old-fashioned engineering style where people are basically used to our develop code, introduce new features, introduce new bugs, but not necessarily concerned about those problems going to show up in production.
1: So, so am I hearing correctly? Uh, Confluent becoming a SaaS vendor also inadvertently, or as a side effect, gotten the product itself for on-premise customer more observable?
0: Yes. Yeah, pretty much. The way how it happened, it like cloud uh, becomes as a first uh, citizen. So cloud first, like everything goes to cloud. And after that, like uh, we learn from experience in the cloud and we uh, automate certain things and we package it and deliver to on-prem customers including some of the bits that we, like, we said, like, we, we are opinionated about these actionable items. And there's some opinions about this. If it's a, you know, good thing or bad thing, some people just want to see all metrics because they, uh, they just uh, fear of missing out, you know? Uh, but, like, when we're providing them, like, prescriptive, uh, prescriptive dashboard where we're saying, here's the things that you need to action because these things are, we know from our experience, are bad, like, under-replicated partitions. We see that if the numbers start growing, meaning this some of the things um, um, is is getting south somewhere, like slowly yeah. or not slowly. So you need to at least like pay attention on this one. And in this case, we um, we we start developing the the culture on of um, you know cloud first company, and it's it's actually you know we it, we we spend some some cycles on. Um, on this one too. So, so
1: in the word of one of our missing residents pain is instructional?
0: Yes. Yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, it's also um, helps to... The good thing is that <laughs> when you change, your, you see how this change might affect like a thousand users. It's a good thing. Or when you're just introducing change it might affect in a bad way. Thousand users is also getting a more yeah,
1: the most exciting thing about being software as a service, all your users get your know, new features at the same time, but yeah. also get the same bugs, yeah. Yeah, the, same same the same problems, time. exactly. Right yeah. right,
0: yeah. And I think it's one of the important things. Is also it's good to be uh, kind of like a developer There's, There should be developer zero. Like in in our case, uh, the VRL team in Confluent are developer zero. So we uh, we we also go in through the the process of adopting certain things certain features or trying out the certain features and uh we are not so the engineers will engineer features the way how it's supposed to be there's some QA process that allows to confirm that they work the way it's supposed to but there's a uh, you know uh, what's, who's who said that like one of the, the the general said that or maybe it's just a in general military thing that when you plan and uh, plan for some like attack or for some, some some actions. But when these plans are hitting reality, all these plans go to garbage.
1: No because, plan like, survives the first engagement with an enemy. Yeah. Yeah,
2: like, like, like Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until they are punching in the face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. yes, when you
1: have a, a sizable SaaS it hurts when you go down. Yeah. So to sum it up, uh, yeah. what, what, what did we talk about? There's no hope for us. Uh, As Anton said, uh, there's no way to get observabilities other than pain is instructional. Apparently, we still don't learn as an industry. We learned that uh, the best way to get better at observability is to become a SaaS company if you're not one. Uh, And uh, we also learned that that observability tools and patterns are changing every time uh, you change the way you architect software. So you have to watch out. For the tools you're buying or for the tools you're building. Uh, and uh, you have to watch out for the next generations or architectural trends that may be disrupting everything you're investing in when it comes to observability.
0: And Maybe machine learning will help to improve this stuff the robots in the will save us all. Yeah, so yeah. robots will learn things and they will help to, to, to make it better.
1: And on that note, we're coming up on a non-Bay Area commute time limit we've set for this episode Was yeah. that...
0: Yeah, that's perfect. It's like 40 minutes. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, uh, Stay uh, tuned for new episodes of Crazy Russian and DevOps podcast. Podcast about DevOps and uh, all things DevOps, including technology, culture, people, and all things about this. And uh, do not forget to avoid for us in iTunes. Do not forget uh, to comment if you have some ideas. And uh, subscribe uh, to... uh, this podcast and subscribe to our
2: follow us on Twitter. Thank komradz, you so much. Have a nice day
0: and have a nice day, comrades.
2: Goodbye and don't, and don't forget: if you are not observing, you will become eventually
3: a witness. No, in Soviet Russia, if you're not observing, you're being observed.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Crazy Russians in DevOps. As always. Subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and rate this show to show your support. And as always, have a nice day.